1: Welcome in, everybody, to the CFB Nation All-America podcast presented by Twisted Tea. I'm Bill Trochi, senior editor at SportingNews.com, alongside Bill Bender, our national college football writer at SportingNews.com. You can follow Bill on Twitter at BillBender92. You can follow me at Bill Trocci. Keep an eye on the main sporting news account at Sporting News. And today we are very excited to have uh, Ralph Russo, national college football writer for the Associated Press, the boss of the AP poll as our (laughs) special guest uh, before he heads to New Orleans. Uh, Ralph, thank you for joining. Thank you for making time. And just to be clear, you're not opting out of the college bowl season to get ready for the NFL draft, are you?
2: No. First of all, that wouldn't go too well for me. Uh, Secondly, happy holidays and Merry Christmas. A belated Merry Christmas to both of you. Um, no, 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 no. Uh, I had my couple of days off. It was actually nice to have a couple of days off uh, over the holidays that actually felt a little like days off. But I am absolutely uh, ramped up and uh, heading opting toward-
1: in. You're opting in.
2: Absol- I, well, with, again, there was not a lot of there was no real choice there for me. <laughs> I mean, I guess I could opt out, but then I would have to give up some paychecks. So
1: what we do on this podcast, we uh, start each time, even with a guest, we we have a trochee Trivia question. I asked Bill a question, but uh, I will let you jump in, too. We, we hold the audience to the end for the answer. All right. So just yeah. think about this as we go. Gotcha. Uh, the Troche Trivia question is, can you name the last Washington coach to win a January bowl game? Ooh. Think about that. The last Washington coach to win a january bowl game so yes we are here to talk college football playoff final four uh bill you can kick
3: off our interview right. with mr russo yeah we're gonna look at all four playoff teams really quickly and uh start with texas and i kind of would make a texas's back joke but they're so tired um but ralph McG- ralph uh, I I thought Ryan McGee had a really good essay on ESPN that I saw the other night and he, he referred to them as a burnt orange Sisyphus and I'm like, I can't top that. So I'm just going to let it ride. Um, and so my question is this, if Quinn Ewers does do this thing and leads them through both games and they win a national championship, McConaughey's going crazy. What do you think Quinn Ewers would say on that podium, given the mic I'm back, we're back. It's over. What?
2: I mean, he might say, I'm out of here because I'm going to now be yeah. a first-round draft pick. Uh, but but good luck and congratulations to Texas moving forward. Uh, yeah, you know, I, th- you're right. The back thing with Texas has become such a joke. Um, what you can say now is Texas looks like what teams that win national championships look like. That's the thing that we haven't been able to say for a really long period of time. Even when they got good and had some moments they didn't look like this and they're still sort of building up I mean they just signed I think what a top five or four or five recruiting class so they're still in a little bit of the build-up mode but if you look at two NFL defensive tackles right uh three guys on the outside that are all NFL type players right Sanders Mitchell uh, Worthy an offensive line that has some NFL prospects on there. In fact, their young, their best guy might be a sophomore. Um, that's what championship teams look like, and we haven't seen anything like that out of Texas in a while. So it looks like they've finally been able to import whatever they were looking for. Whatever Texas was missing, they've got with Sark. He brought it from Alabama and has now got a team that looks like a national championship team.
1: Yeah. My question for you, Ralph, is, is, has to do with Sark. Like, you know, people you have talked to uh, what has he been able to do to get this Texas team to be more consistent? And because he, in his history, you know, eight full years of, of, as a head coach uh, always had at least four losses. uh, And then he had that one year he was fired at three and two at USC when he had those problems. So he does not have a history of consistency. Texas does not have a history of consistency. Suddenly they're 12 and one. what, what have people told you, uh, maybe, maybe it's the, uh, what the difference or what you've seen this year, the difference to, to get them to not have those dips that they've had.
2: So, you know, I hate to boil it all down to Alabama, but the fact that he was at Alabama with, um, his offensive coordinator, offensive line coach, Kyle flood, and they imported some of that Alabama staff, but they sort of, The idea of like, okay, we've seen how this is supposed to work, right? We've seen what it means to create a culture that builds consistency. We've also seen, again, going back to, because I think that's a little intangible, right? It's hard to sort of figure out. uh, There's been a lot of talk over the years when it comes to like, what's wrong with Texas, Texas players are entitled. They get to Texas and they feel like they've already peaked, right? Because they're, they're Texas guys and their dream was to go to Texas. And then they get to Texas and this is all that they've ever wanted was to be playing ball in Austin and to be the big man on campus. So I, I do think there has probably been a bit of a culture shift. Understanding like how do we get our guys to want more and how do we find guys who want more than just being at Texas, and then it goes back to, again, I think a little bit more of like the less, the more tangible, how are we building our team? We're building our team so that if we have a close game against Kansas State, right, which is which could go either way, we have two defensive tackles who can just go ham in overtime and keep Kansas State from scoring from the two-yard line. I do think there's a bit of a culture shift here that, that I, I think would be, it would, you know, maybe I'm giving Alabama too much credit, but I think Sark's time in the NFL and Alabama maybe shifted his mindset away from like, okay, what, how is this supposed to work? And what type of players do I need? And how do I get these players buying in? Yeah. Well, and then
3: their opponent that Texas is going to dominate everything leading up to this game. All the headlines are Texas. So it's kind of a simple question is Washington, the most underrated college football playoff team that could actually win the whole thing that you've seen in the last
2: 10 years. If Now I might push back against the premise that they could win the whole thing. And maybe that actually feeds into your premise, right? Like the fact that maybe I am also over underrating them to a certain degree uh, of whether they can win the whole thing. Cause frankly, I, I thought that they had a ceiling and twice they broke through it when they beat Oregon. But, um, they're probably being overlooked for a couple of different reasons. A, I think the simple fact that we haven't seen a team from the Pac-10 in here in a while, from Pac-12, excuse me, in here in a while, which means I think people are going to doubt them because, well, they don't play good ball out there, right? That's that's the, that's the conference that's been out of this thing for a while. So I think there'll be some doubt. Uh, and they've also played a zillion close games. Uh, so I think that gives a little bit of flashback I hate that that that's held against them to a certain degree. I think Washington has mastered the skill of winning. But I think it also makes people flash back to what happened with TCU last year where they were on a magical a magical ride, they pulled out some great victories, but you sort of felt like at the end at some point this was going to become too tough for them. So I think that's probably a couple of the reasons why people aren't buying into Washington as much as maybe they should have. And again, maybe I'm guilty too.
1: So I'm looking at this game and I'm thinking, you know, Kalen DeBoer, great coach, sporting news coach of the year, a lot of other coach of the years too. Um, he yeah. is, he, He's going to try to establish the run with Dylan Johnson, and he's going to go up against those two defensive tackles that you have mentioned twice, and Tavondre Sweat and uh, Byron Murphy the second, both landed on the Sporting News All-America team. Uh, And I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball. But I think Michael Penix's left arm is good
2: enough to win the game. Am I wrong? I think it's going to have to be, and I think it could be, especially if you think of, Where Texas might be susceptible and where Washington, I think, clearly has the advantage is Washington's got three NFL wide receivers in the Dunze, Polk and McMillan, who was hurt a lot of the year. And that got sort of lost in the wash that he was gone. They had these three great players and then they were down to two for a little while, which is still nice. It's a nice buffer to have. But those matchups seem to be pretty good. You know, I've talked to some people who sort of grind the tape here and look at the X's and O's and think that Washington might have a little more success running the ball than maybe we. Because even I was like, oh, they're they're probably going to have to abandon the run game. Washington just won the Joe Moore Award, which is given to the best offensive line in college football. Not line men, but offensive line. It'll be interesting to me to see not just whether they can run the ball. I think they're going to be like just like what is effective running the ball for them. I don't think they need to get 180 or 200 on the ground, but man, if they get 125, 135, like that might be enough. So I, I think the the key will be a sort of defining what is effective on the ground. Listen, mm-hmm. if they get 60, that's going to be a problem, but if they can be in that. If they can be a hundred a hundred or above, that might be a comfortable place for them to live.
3: Well, I I picked Texas. I think you're telling me you picked Texas too. So I've got Texas in yeah. this game. Yeah. And I got a close one. I think Bill took Washington and all of the predictions you'll see this week, I think, will be within a touchdown game. Um so I want to shift gears. Alabama, and it's kind of a this is kind of what I've been telling the dads with all these practices, Ralph. I said Uh, And I'll ask you the same question. So what is the lead going to be for the seventh time or eighth time that you've written an Alabama Nick Saban national
2: championship story? So I I don't know if I have one yet, but you definitely (laughs) need to start thinking about one. I I think here, but here's the premise though. The premise is this Alabama team to a certain degree is like no other. Uh, It is maybe the worst Alabama team we have seen since Sabin's first or second year. Uh and the fact that their worst team could still be a national championship team is all you need to know about Nick Saban's dynasty, right? Like how what what more what what could be more a symbol of greatness than your worst team could be a national championship team? You know, I I I'm playing with this idea of like and I've said this all year, it's kind of it's a cliche, but I, I feel like it's it's applicable applicable to Alabama they have been building the plane while flying it all year right that's been the mastery of Saban this year is that they really haven't been sure like is our offensive line good what are we doing here a quarterback okay defensively we got we have some very good pieces here we're still got some young guys we're relying on and it's all sort of come together throughout the year so I've just been really impressed by it. I mean maybe this is Nick Saban's best coaching job maybe this championship is the testament to Saban and his greatness to a certain degree, as it's if like, he needs another testament to his greatness. <laughs> right? It
1: almost didn't come together, too. I mean, week 12, it certainly didn't look like it was coming together against Auburn. And then week 13, it all came together at the same time. So, yeah, it's been wild for them. Uh, my my thing with Alabama, and it's a stat I can't really get away from, the SEC is 22-4 and in BCS and CFP non-conference games. Yeah. I just – the, that's mind blowing. Alabama itself is 14 and three in those situations. So, you know, how do you make a case for, in this case, the Big Ten?
5: Keep it twisted.
2: I don't know if I do, and again, I'm picking Alabama, so I guess I didn't make the case. But but if I'm trying to, uh, I I am a bit of an analytics nerd. Uh, the analytics and Vegas do like Michigan here, right? It is not it's not Alabama plus six. It's not Alabama, you know, or excuse me, minus six or Alabama minus touchdown. And again, if you look at a lot of the the you know the computer models. They all seem to think that Alabama, the Michigan was the better team throughout the season when you start weighing competition. And it was only week 12, as you said, Bill, very well put. Like that team almost lost to Auburn. Should (laughs) have. Should have lost to Auburn. So clearly we are in a space here where, I mean, there's, you know, like, like. It's, it's so hard to get past what you just saw for last, right? They just beat Georgia, a team that hadn't lost in 29 straight games. And now all of a sudden you, that's your prominent memory of Alabama, but this was a team that had glitched all season long. And I, again, when I talk to some people who sort of study the X's and O's and coaches and, and people who grind the tape, they're like, you know what? I know where a lot of people are talking about whether Michigan will be able to run the ball. Will Alabama be able to run the ball? Um, Tommy Reese has gotten Milrow involved in the running game a little more and lo- more like planned quarterback runs, design quarterback runs. How much is that going to be a prominent part? I think the biggest reason why I like, like Alabama and you bring up the SEC is there just seems to be with the very high end SEC teams, a level of athlete and a level of depth of talent that always sort of shines through in the biggest games that they have a few more playmakers a few more dynamic players that tip these big games and i'm going to bank that alabama even on a roster that has been again you know build it as you go will have enough of those extra dynamic players to tip this game their way
3: well that's kind of my leads into my question sort of because michigan the last time i've seen them do this against an sec team I, they, I know they beat Florida in 15, but it was the Urban Meyer-Lloyd Carr last game, 2007. you got long to go all to go. the way back there right, right. where you thought, okay, Michigan has some dudes on the perimeter that are bothering Florida. They had Manningham, they had Arrington, they had Mike Hart. They had one of their best offensive teams. In some ways, the offense reminds me of that this year because they got the running backs, they had the offensive line until Zinter gets hurt, then they look rough against Iowa. So my question, it, it's a long way of asking you this question, Ralph. About a month ago, you tweeted something to me, something to the effect of, I don't know if I trust these Big Ten offenses at, against these other ones. Can you trust this Michigan offense, or is it all on J.J. McCarthy? We talked about this a little bit on your podcast.
2: Yeah, yeah, this is the second uh, part of a home and home that we're doing here, uh, <laughs> podcast. podcast. Um, I, 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 I do think McCarthy is going to need his best game to to win this because i do I, I like again when you're looking for okay who's the dynamic playmaker here it's the thing too about like michigan you saw the way auburn ran the ball against alabama well that's great but does michigan do that stuff does michigan do all the eye candy that you freezes offenses do and that they get the quarterback involved in the running game because yeah, That's not necessarily Michigan's M.O. They do a lot of formation you to death, but they're not moving a lot of people around. And they, they, you kind of know what's what their tendencies are going to be. So if you're not getting into that and you're just trying to move Alabama off the ball, mm, I don't know about that. That's, that. Good luck with that if you're just trying to move Alabama off the ball. So, yeah, I, I think McCarthy has to be really good. Maybe not, maybe not great, but really, really good as far as mistake-free. Getting him get involved in the running game a bit. Take what's there for you, JJ. Whether it's a design run or a scramble, um, and also just be good in the middle of the field, right? Don't. I, it's not a matter of oh, he needs to make these big shots. He needs to sort of take what's available to him in the middle of the field. Be really efficient. I think I need I need JJ McCarthy at his most efficient as a passer, and maybe some of that dynamic play in the run game.
1: One thing I'll say about Michigan, Bill's heard me talk about this. They don't help you. They do not beat themselves. They are the least penalized team in the nation. They have the third fewest giveaways in the nation. And so, you know, you talk about all the shenanigans that Harbaugh brings with him. He knows how to coach, right? I mean, this team, so number one, they're not going to help you. Number two, no matter what bubbles up, regarding Harbaugh, the week leading up to the game, whether Connor Stallions actually was on the sideline at Central Michigan, maybe that comes up right before the game, since everyone's sort of forgotten about that whole uh, sideshow there. Um, Whatever happens, these guys don't get distracted. And again, I think that goes back to the, the fundamentals that, harbaugh has ingrained in this program over the last few years and so alabama my point is they're going
2: to have to win the game michigan's not going to help them i completely agree with that and that is michigan's maybe greatest quality right i remember when harbaugh first came to michigan somebody told me that the the underrated part of coaching it's not scheme and design and ball plays. you teach effort and technique you teach effort and that's it. You coached effort, you coach effort. Effort is not something that just comes, it is coached. You coach effort and technique. And that is the core of the being of Michigan. They are well coached in effort and technique. They are not gonna beat themselves. As uh, to, to, to steal a line from my friend Ross Dellinger, who works for Yahoo, they will block and tackle you to death. And so, to me, if this is a close game and the bookmakers think it's going to be a close game, that's where I think Michigan has its secret sauce, right? I mean, I think they've got a, you know, Alabama's got a good kicker too, but they got a pretty good kicker and get into a game that is 21 17, 20 to, you know, 20 to 17, you know, 24 21 and basically, you know, make a kick at the end to win it, something along those lines. I think that's the path to victory for Alabama for Michigan is they won't make mistakes and Milroe has been very good protecting the ball he has not been a turnover disaster but he is still a sloppy player insofar as misthrow right oh open guy right there oh I just sailed at 16 yards if I'm asked like who is more likely to make the critical mistake or two Maybe that's where Michigan's path to victory is because I'm more likely to get a critical mistake out of Alabama than I am out of Michigan. And I can see
1: Alabama having a long field all day. 80 yards, 75 yards, 85 yards. They're they're starting constantly inside their 25-yard line.
2: This is going to play like a Big Ten game, I think, right? Like, I, I feel like you know, it's going to be beautiful, I imagine, at the Rose Bowl because it's always real nice. But my sense is if it, if it dropped 35 degrees and there was some snow, this game might play out like a Big Ten game. And if it doesn't, that's where Michigan, I think, has a problem. I think if it becomes a little more track meat-ish and it's a little more up and down, it's probably not to Michigan's benefit. Is Jim Harbaugh Michigan's next coach or next coach maybe is he their coach next year man bill i just keep coming back to this man it takes two to tango and i am just not like i don't have a good read on the nfl side of things where there's somebody wants to sign up for that again because it's not like because you know again to to mention my show which you were on harbaugh has got an amazing nfl resume right people forget that like Not only was he really good with the 49ers, but the 49ers stunk before he got there, and immediately he got them good. Like, in an instant, he turned them good. So we know he can do it in the NFL, but we also know that as soon as things turn just a little bit, in the NFL people were like I had enough of this guy right. like this is too much like he in some ways is made for the college game because like the players cycle in and out a little more and he's sort of the boss and it's not that NFL structure where you're really answering to a GM so my the only reason why I think that it's hard for me to predict that I, I would think he's probably going to end up end up in the NFL but I also know that that means an NFL team has to sign up for the Jim Harbaugh experience and I know that that's a lot
3: Right. And I got one more quick one for you. The no, we we go back and forth a little bit. Uh Bill, I don't know if Bill knows this, but Ralph's the Jets fan. I'm a Packers fan. So you're not gonna have Aaron Rodgers forever. If you had to draft one of these playoffs like we teams, haven't had Aaron
2: Rodgers at all. You've had him for nine
3: nine seconds, I think. Right. Uh <laughs> yeah. if you had to draft one of these playoff QBs for the Jets. And you have first or second round, and maybe a plan of the future type deal, sit behind Aaron for a year. Which one would you let do it?
2: Boy, that's an interesting question because I have not bought in on some of the first round hype on Ewers and McCarthy. They're both fine players. And as we said, like either one of those two guys goes off in two playoff games, and all of a sudden, that's the third quarterback drafted. Like that's, what's on the line for those two guys. Per- personally, if either of them plays su- really well in these playoff games, boy, their draft stock is going to go through the roof. Um, I-, I-, I think I would probably go with yours of all of them. Uh, I think the ceiling is pretty high there. I love Penix. God, I love Penix as a player, but I do wonder about his athleticism and the is- history of in- injuries like it's hard not to be an a, a really athletic quarterback in the NFL these days, um, just because there's so much going on around you. So without a ton of confidence, I think I'll, I would put my money of those four on pen on excuse me on yours.
1: Ralph, you just plug any QB into the Jets, it'll work. It'll, it's no problem. Or you,
2: plug it, or you plug any QB into the Jets, and it won't work. Right? Like they literally will have the worst career possible as soon as you plug them in. Well, as
3: I tell everybody at Sporting News, and they get really, you know, annoyed, and I don't care. I'll just take Jordan Love for the next fifteen years. We'll be fine. You know. So he's done. <laughs> he has exceeded expectations in year one. I'll say that, and the defense has not. Not y'all, your expectations. Your y'all do, expectations y'all do have
2: some kind of magic piss, pixie dust up there yeah. in Green Bay with quarterbacks. It's just, so, boom, another another Hall of Famer.
3: Well, well, Bill, do you want to repeat the trivia Yeah, questions? yeah, yeah.
2: Ralph, I re- real quick, though, I just I, I
1: thought your answer was interesting when you were describing Harbaugh and uh, the college versus the pro and the, everybody's like, when it goes a little sideways, it's time. I, you could have been describing Saban, which was kind of funny to me. It's like wins right away people can't deal with them on a long-term <laughs> basis but he's an excellent coach so i don't know just it's gonna be fun to watch them go head-to-head in the rose bowl all right let's return to the trochi trivia can you name the last washington coach to win a uh january one ro- uh, january bowl game
2: so i to
1: start us off ralph
2: Okay, I think I got this and I think I wouldn't have got it if I had to answer it immediately as as it marinated for a while. I think it's Rick Neuheisel. Bill, I uh I
3: I agree. I and I think I know the game.
1: Okay. You both Ralph got it. it.
3: You both got
2: Ralph, it. Ralph, you want to tell him the game? I, didn't he beat Purdue in a Rose Bowl? I don't oh, yeah. remember the exact year, but I thought he beat Purdue, maybe Breeze, maybe even a Breeze team in a Rose Bowl. That's the only
3: reason I think I knew this question, too. Otherwise, I was going to get – I think that Bill was being tricky with a – Sark was too easy. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we know Sark coached in Washington. So I, I did know it was Rick. Uh, I have had a chance to be on his radio show a little bit as well. And, uh, you know, yeah, they definitely beat the Big Ten in the Rose Bowl. So, of course, I knew that answer. 2000,
1: <laughs> 2000 season. Uh, Rose Bowl, January 1, 2001, Washington 34, Purdue 24. Drew Brees on the losing side. Rose Bowl MVP, Washington quarterback Marcus Tuiasisopo on the winning side.
2: It's amazing so. the stuff that falls out of here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, very good. Well, Ralph, that was really fun. We appreciate you opting in to this podcast. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening to the CFP Nation All-America podcast brought to you by Twisted Tea on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you to Irish Breakdown, your source for Notre Dame football information. Bill and I will be back later this week to talk more about the CFP semifinals and some New Year's Six games. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your day, and we will see you soon.